Thank you all for being here this morning. It is great to be a part of Cross Point Church and everything that God is doing right now in this unique season of our history. Um, in case you haven't heard, we're moving, and uh, we don't know exactly when, but it's going to be coming up soon, we believe. And so we've been spending this particular time just thinking about what God's going to do when we move, and we want to be ready for what God's going to do when we move. We want to be prepared, and we want to we want to land at our new location with a lot of momentum. So, so that's what uh, we've kind of been talking about over the last few weeks. Jack Kerouac, uh, the author, once wrote about one of the most exhilarating times of his life, and he wrote this. We were all delighted. We all realized we were leaving confusion and nonsense behind and performing our one noble function of the time, move. And when I read that this past week, it made me think of us and how exciting this time is for us as a church on the move. Now, of course, there's still a lot of work to do, and there may be some uh, stress and obstacles along the way, but but we are in the home stretch, and we want to minimize the stress, whatever it is, and we want to face those obstacles with faith and power so that we can land with momentum and, and, and continue to be a church that is moving and, and bringing the grace of God to people who are far from God. Now last week we talked about one of the ways that we can build momentum as a church, and, and we talked about inviting your friends and, and how important that is to us building momentum, inviting friends to be part of our family and to see this movement and experience the presence of God and the presence of Jesus. But after last week, I started, I started thinking, imagine someone from our church, just, just imagine someone from our church having a conversation with a neighbor that went like this. Hey neighbor, would you like to come to church with us this weekend? Uh, I don't know, what's your church like? Well, first you'll have trouble finding a parking spot. Then no one will talk to you. They'll look at you, though, with suspicious eyes. Our people aren't really that friendly. As soon as you sit down, you'll be asked to stand up and sing for what will seem like an eternity. You won't understand the message, but that's okay because your kids will be with a bunch of mean old ladies who smell funny. What do you think? Well, that sounds like an experience. Let me get back to you next year, maybe. Now, why would I expect all of you to invite your friends here if I didn't think that we had the ability to make an amazing impression on them in one hour on a Sunday morning. I mean, that's, that's what we have to do. Now, you might not think that's a very spiritual thing, but I, I promise you it is. It's really important, the kind of impression that we make on guests who come into our community, who come into our family, whatever they see, whatever they hear, we're leaving an impression and it's very important and even critical that we do everything that we can so that that person, whoever they are and wherever they're at in their spiritual journey, whatever they're going through in their life, that they're in a position to hear from God, to experience the presence of Jesus, and to be changed. That's what we're all about. And that has to do with all of us, not just, not just the worship team, not just me, not just the ushers. Not just the people they rub shoulders with. It has, it has to do with every single one of us. Now think about this. The, the local church in the first century, which we've been talking about the last few weeks, in the book of Acts, you know, we read about the, the early church. The local church in the first century was irresistible. People all over Jerusalem, they saw what was going on, and they were drawn to this new movement. What was so irresistible about them? Well, there's a few things. They loved each other. With genuine love. 
They took care of each other. They were single-minded in their focus. God in the, in the, God in the person of the Holy Spirit was showing himself in powerful ways when they gathered. People's lives were changing dramatically. And as a result, new people were joining the movement every single day and becoming part of this new family called the church. And I, I don't know if you knew this, but local churches are still supposed to have this kind of irresistible quality about us. So that people who don't necessarily believe what we believe or buy into our message are still interested in us or curious about us because we're living a distinct way of life and treating each other with an irresistible love and experiencing God's presence and power when we gather. That's still, that's still supposed to be happening every time that we get together. Now some of you already know this, but the book of Acts, which was written uh, in, in the middle of the first century, is, is, is all about what happened after Jesus left the earth. That's what it's about, right? They weren't, um, so it's about the people who loved and followed Jesus. It's, it's following their journey after Jesus left. Now those people or disciples, whatever you want to call them, they weren't organized. They weren't a 501c3. They didn't have tax exempt status. They didn't own a building. They didn't, they had homes, you know, they had access to some public space. But they didn't have, you know, the things we have. They didn't have posters or signs or other marketing materials. They didn't have a sound system. They didn't really have much. But they had each other. And not only did they have each other, they were all in for each other. They had a clear vision and a common confession that Jesus Christ was the king of the universe. They all believed that Jesus was God's son and that he died and rose again. And that peace with God is only possible by believing in the name of Jesus. And this gathering of believers grew from 120 at the time Jesus left the earth to, in one day, 3,000 people, and then to 5,000 people, and then to more and more and more people. It was a movement that had an amazing amount of momentum, and it just kept growing and growing. And there was this small group of men, 12 men, that everyone looked to for leadership. We, we might call those the disciples or the apostles. And... Um, they were a group of very common, ordinary men. Uh, they, they were uneducated, most of them. We don't know if they had any leadership skills. They never went to Bible school or seminary. They had no formal training to do what they were called to do or what they were about to do. But they did live and walk with Jesus before he died for about three years. And all they knew was that Jesus, they, they knew what Jesus did, they knew what he said, and their message was very simple. Their message was about a man who overcame death by the power of God, and if you believe in him, you will one day overcome death by the power of God. Because Jesus was the Son of God, and he's alive. He's alive. And even though things had been going really well for the early church, and they were growing and experiencing the favor of all the people around them, there were tensions and there were conflicts at times. And in Acts chapter 6, which we're going to look at this morning, we're introduced to the first real internal struggle that this new movement or this new family faced together. And I want to give you a little background of how this happened. In Jerusalem at this time, there was a large minority of Greek-speaking Jews. Greek-speaking Jews. Jews who were um, born into a Jewish family, you know, uh, part of the, you know, God's covenant, part of God's covenant family, but 
Um, because their, their family was scattered during the exile or whatever, they grew up in a Greek-speaking culture, and they didn't live in Jerusalem, maybe never lived in Jerusalem, and they, they grew up speaking Greek and with those cultural kind of trappings. And these Jews came um, from various families, and for whatever reason, you know, they were back in Jerusalem, maybe to celebrate the Passover. Uh, many of them who were older probably decided to stay in Jerusalem so that they could die in what they believed was the holy city. Jerusalem. And they were, after all, Jews, you know. But some of these Jews stayed in Jerusalem because they got carried away in this new movement following Jesus. Right? So a lot of these, you know, thousands of people who are part of the church are not native to Jerusalem. They grew up in a different uh, secular city, we might say. They didn't speak Hebrew or Aramaic. They didn't live like Hebrews because they were raised in a foreign, non-Jewish culture. And if you were a native Jew who was born and raised in or around Jerusalem and you came from a Jewish family that spoke Aramaic and that you know, followed the law and all of that, you could pick out these other Jews pretty easily. And it, not only was it easy to pick them out, it was easy to look at them differently and maybe even treat them a little differently than if they were native to Jerusalem and spoke your language. Are you following me? Aramaic-speaking Jews, those Jews who, who were raised and lived in Jerusalem and obeyed the law and all of that, they would have been suspicious of these other Jews. And we might call that prejudice. That's what it is. It's prejudice. Now, these prejudices were developed way before any of these people put their faith in Jesus. Okay, this was building for hundreds and hundreds of years. Those feelings were already there. Those assumptions had already been made. And so, as the church grew... Tensions were bound to rise. It was just inevitable. It was going to happen. Because here's what, what we know. Even though a person's life is transformed when they begin to follow Jesus, they are still prone to old ways of thinking and seeing. Isn't that true? We're still prone to, to, to our, you know, having those preconceived notions that we hang on to, stereotypes we have of people. And some prejudices run so deep that considerable time is needed to see things in a new way. And the only way, I think, that people can ever really break free from prejudice is through the power of the gospel of Jesus, which tells us in Galatians 3.28, this powerful verse, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, why would the Apostle Paul have to write that to these churches in, this, in the province of Galatia? Because they, there were prejudices. There were people not being treated fairly and equally to, as others. Some people were looked diff- at differently because of their economic status, because they were a woman and not a man, because they were from one ethnic background and not another. Imagine that. So let's look into Acts 6 and see what happens as these tensions kind of come to a head. In Acts chapter 6, we're going to start in, in, verse, in verse 1, and here's what it, what it, how it reads. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, I'm going to stop there. The disciples refers to the whole group of Jesus' followers here, uh, not just the 12 apostles. And they aren't called Christians yet. In fact, this movement at the time was called the Way. And do you know why it was called the Way? Because Jesus would talk about himself as the way. Jesus, if you remember, in, in, uh, he would say things like, I am the way. I'm the only way to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. And so they were called the way. So you, they weren't called Christians. You would be asked, hey, are you part of the way? 
I mean, that's kind of how they referred to each other. Um, and let's not forget, they had a ton of momentum at this time, and people were being added to the church every day. Let's pick up, the, let's pick up in verse 1 again. A complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, okay, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Okay, so what's happening is, is now here's where, the, here's where the prejudice comes in, right? There was a daily distribution of food. Why was there a daily distribution of food? Because here we have a giant family. In fact, the church, even though it's made up of thousands of people, is actually fun- functioning like a small family nucleus. It's, it's amazing. People were selling their possessions, their, their excess properties, just pooling their resources together and giving them equally to anyone who had needs. Everyone was well taken care of because that's what a family does. If you think about your family and all of your possessions and your wealth and your money, your cars, I mean, you typically don't say, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. Everyone in your family has access to it because that's how families operate. Families who truly love each other and want to take care of each other, you know, whatever's mine is yours. Right? If you get into some kind of trouble, you can have mine. And that's, what, that's how the church was living together at this time. Sharing meals together, you know, sharing everything in common. Everyone was experiencing the love and grace of Jesus. They lived like a big family. And it was so powerful. So powerful was this movement, this way of living together, that people outside the church saw this and they were amazed. And they were attracted to the church and to Jesus because they were living like a family. They'd never seen a movement like this before. And all this is going great until the Greek-speaking Jewish widows start getting overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And then inevitably people start complaining. People start complaining, right? So here's what, here's what happens. And the twelve, that's the apostles, they summoned the full number of disciples and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Okay? In other words, the apostles, come, they, 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 they hear the complaint and they say, look, we recognize this is an important problem, this is an important issue, but we're not the right ones to, to deal with this. We have other work to do, and if we take this on, if we start waiting tables, and if we begin to micromanage the daily distribution of food, the whole church is going to suffer. Because we need to focus on what God has set us aside to do, and that is to preach and teach the Word of God, and to pray for everyone, and to pray for the world, and to pray for each other. And so here's what, here's what they say. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men who have a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now notice what the apostles or the leaders did not do. Notice what they did not say. 